Can I have a reading here out of uh, Luke 9, uh, 1 through 9? I think it's up there. <clears throat> it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. As they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that had happened, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him, the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this day. Thank you for Pastor Matt. I uh, just ask that you open up our hearts and minds to receive uh, what you have for us through him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Um, if this is your first Sunday here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we haven't met yet, please introduce yourself to me after this service. I would love uh, to get to know you. Thank you for being here. Of all the other places you could have been this morning, you chose to be here. That's an encouragement uh, to me personally. And, and I think it's encouragement to everybody else. To bring you up to speed, we started a, a short mini-series uh, a, a, a short church life miniseries. Normally we go through uh, books of the Bible and sometimes between those series we drop in a church life miniseries where we can address certain issues that we believe are, are timely for our church. And um, this particular um, uh, series is simply called Love Your Neighbor. Love Your Neighbor. Uh, God's called us to love him, to love the church, and to love our neighbor. And I think uh, as the, the pastors and I have been discussing and praying, we want to be stronger and more determined and more deliberate in loving our neighbor. Now, the first message two weeks ago was titled, You Are a Priest. And we talked about the priesthood of all believers. And last week, it was titled, you are a missionary, and that came, to us as, uh, that came as a surprise to some of you. Maybe you didn't even know you were a missionary, but you are. That's who God created you to be. This week is titled, We Are Proclaimers of Good News. This is all in an effort to love our neighbors, to be priests, to be missionaries, to be proclaimers of the good news because we love our neighbors. And we love our neighbors because God loved us. And, and here's kind of been the, the emphasis here. It's a distinction between the way the world thinks and the way that, that Christianity is, uh, Christians think. The world says what you do determines who you are. For better or worse, what you do determines who you are. But Christianity teaches, the scripture teaches, who you are determines what you do. And God, by his grace, has given you a new identity, and then he calls us to live consistently with our identity, to be who you already are in Christ. You don't have to strive to be 
somebody important, right? You are the child of God. You're the son of God. You're the daughter of God. I mean, what's better than that? And he's wired up his people in such a way to advance his kingdom of grace in a world that needs it. Now, who you are determines the order of your priorities, right? Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about evangelism. It was part of our other series. We talked about how evangelism is about proclaiming the good news in word and deed, that there is hope, that there is purpose, that there is freedom, there is truth, there is love found in King Jesus. Christianity claims that this is the best reality, the best way to live, but even non-Christians are evangelists proclaiming what they believe to be good news. Everybody has values that they cherish. Everybody has a certain way of living that they believe is the, the best way to live. And naturally, we communicate that to people around us. So one way or another, we are all evangelists. And whoever you are, you can't not do evangelism. We're just wired up to share with other people what we believe to be the best way to live. For Christians, we are charged by the word of God to proclaim the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in a way that treats people with dignity and love and respect and gentleness. Not only are we commanded to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and, and the gospel, right? It's, we're not just commanded to proclaim that. We're also commanded to do it with gentleness and respect. That command gets forgotten so often, and it's a shame. And it drives people away from ever hearing the good news. And people justify it saying, well, the good news, is, the good news and the gospel is offensive. I know, it doesn't need any help being offensive. A lot of times you offend people before the gospel ever has a chance to, right? Now, we are called to proclaim the good news with dignity, love, and respect, and gentleness. And it's possible that some people listening to me right now, it's possible for, you know, the first thought to be, well, you know what? Jesus didn't always make people feel like they were loved. He called people a brood of vipers, and that was the loving thing to do. Now, if that's my first thought, I need to realize that Jesus was addressing religious, self-righteous Pharisees, and then I need to realize that I'm probably one of them. And then I need to repent. Yeah, but in the text we just read, Jesus said in verse 5, if one of the towns rejects you when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. That's not very nice. Again, same category as self-righteous religious Pharisees. They figured that they didn't need the grace of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the healing of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. And after being given and offered all of that, if it was clear that they were content with being self-righteous, the disciples would end their time there with a critical warning, a critical helpful warning, and then hurry to bring the blessings of Jesus to the next town that needed it. Now, this is key. The good news of Jesus and his kingdom 
is not just a go-and-tell deal. It is a show-and-tell deal. You show the love of Jesus, and then you tell them the truth of Jesus. And here's what I want to emphasize, and I brought this up last week. If you don't love the people with whom you are sharing the good news, don't. If you don't love the people with whom you're sharing the truth of Jesus, then stop. Set aside some time to reflect how God loved you unconditionally and sacrificed greatly to express love to you. And let that just fill your heart and remember the freedom and the reassurance that he has given to you because he loved you. And when you remember that, then you'll have a love for your neighbor. Then you will share the good news out of genuine love for the people that God has placed in, in your life. When you have that love of God in your heart, it changes your whole approach. And then you share it from a place of freedom, not just obligation. Now, those are a couple of things I needed to say before we, we're, we would dig into the text, and we're going to do that now. We're going to look at three questions this morning. And the first question is this, if you're following along with your outline. It's a who question. Who proclaims the good news of King Jesus and his kingdom? And what we see throughout the scriptures, including here, is that it is a community of faith. It's a community of faith. Verse 1 says, Jesus called the 12 together and he sent them out. Now, the 12 here is an important number, and 12 represents the whole church. 12 represents all followers of Jesus. Jesus sends an entire, his entire community of faith throughout the ages to declare the good news of Jesus' kingdom in word and deed. Why? Why community? Well, because community is part of the good news. Jesus is gathering together a new city that, that lives in his truth and his grace together. And in verse 6, it says, And they departed, and they went through the villages, and they were preaching the gospel, and they were healing everywhere. The original language emphasized that indicated that no one went off on their own. They went together. At the very least, they'd minister and serve in pairs. They did good news, show and tell, as a community. They, they functioned as a team based on their, their, their gifting, their skill, their spiritual gifts. Maybe Philip was in charge of planning out the schedule. Maybe Matthew took care of housing arrangements and planned the meetings. Andrew probably led the way in inviting people to hear the message. My guess is that Peter did most of the preaching. James and others may have been involved in, in healing. And, and I imagine John doing a lot of the, the counseling. And however, they did it. They functioned as a team. And it's just like that for us today. He wants us to do this, to show and tell the good news of Jesus together. Because that's how a watching world uh, sees what a, a new city looks like. Jesus changes lives in the context of a community living and working together as a team, proclaiming the good news to people who need it in word and deed. 
I'm encouraged when I see that alive and well in our little church. We saw this in our, when our church worked together for, we've never done a Serve the City event before, but we didn't have everything figured out. But like Pastor Brock rallied the troops, got us all working together to have our Serve the City event. And I think everybody was blessed, including the people who were serving. Uh, we see this in the food distribution that we do every Friday and, and every Saturday. We see it in crowded houses that are determined to work together, to love and serve their neighbors. And then, you know, we, we see it when you all show up and you welcome new people and make them feel part of the family. It makes a huge difference because when, as cliche as it may sound, when people know how much you care, then they will care about what you know or who you know, namely Jesus. If you take the time to reflect on that and value that, I'm telling you, it changes you and it builds up your faith. Uh, this is the kind of stuff you get to experience. I mean, if you feel like cold or, or going through the motions or, or you know, the fire's not you know, burning anymore, you, know, you, you feel like God's distant or whatever, I mean, getting involved in this kind of stuff right here, man, it builds up your faith. It lights you up. This is what you get to experience if you're living out of your identity and God's call on your life with others in our church. So who does this? The community of faith together. And second is the how question. How is this done? We talked a little bit about this last week. It's done with good news irony. And let me explain. Look at the rest of that, that verse. It says, Jesus gave them power and authority over all demons. The power and authority to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing. Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. And do not have two tunics. Now this is, this is kind of weird, Right? He says, I give you power, I give you authority to do what I have been doing, now go, but take nothing with you. No staff, no suitcase, no bread, no money, not even a change of clothes. In the first service, Jean heard that and she said, gross. <laughs> yeah, one set of clothes. What's going on here? What's Jesus doing? Well, he is doing some training here. He's doing some discipleship, and he's using good news irony. Here's what I mean. Jesus sends them with his power. He sends them with his authority, and, and at the same time, he sends them out totally weak and totally dependent upon God in the hospitality and the generosity of other people. And as a result, they go with humility and boldness. Those two things don't usually go together, right? I mean, that's good news irony. That's what catches people off guard. That's what gets people's attention. You know, it seems like boldness without humility is not true boldness, right? Humility without boldness is not true humility. They have, to, in the world, they don't normally go together. But in the kingdom of God, they must go together. Now, if you don't have any humility, I mean, and you're, 
you know, it's very common for Christians to do evangelism out of arrogance. You have a prideful, holier-than-thou attitude. But since you're saved by grace, Christians should be the most humble people on the planet. Because you know that you were so lost that the only way that you could be saved was for God the Son to die for you. It took nothing less. And when you humbly admit your weakness, when you humbly admit your sin, when you humbly admit your struggles, then, then people can identify with you. You don't have to pretend to be better than you really are. And people can get to know you and say, you know what, I'm exactly like that. But they see something different about you. On the other hand, other Christians are so fearful that you rarely, if ever, share your faith because you're scared of being mocked or you're scared of being rejected. But since you're saved by grace, Christians should be the most confident people on the planet because you know that no matter what, no matter how much you blow it, God still loves you as much as he ever did. And that leads to good news irony. That leads to both humility, a combination, a beautiful combination of humility and boldness. It connects you with people in their weakness, and it gives them hope that they too can know the joy of God and the difference that Jesus makes. And it's like that now. Jesus sends each of you, all of us, together to share the good news with humility and boldness. He wants you to be humble enough to admit your weakness, to admit your sin, to admit your struggles, and to admit that you don't have it all together. And yet at the same time, he wants you to be bold because you are so absolutely confident that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your humility connects you with people who are weak because you're weak. And so am I. And your gospel boldness gives them hope that if God changed you, if God changed matter to you, he can change anybody. You know, in ministry, um, there have been different seasons in my life, my family's life. Seasons when we're all healthy, we have more than enough financial resources that, that we were able to give a lot of it away. And then we've been in seasons where, you know, we got plagued with health challenges of one kind or another and financial challenges where we were totally dependent on other people. I mean, we've lived with an abundance and we've lived with nothing. And it's awesome when you have an abundance and you can give to people. But I tell you what, God sure shaped us in those tough times. Times were so bad. Um, at one season in our life where our neighbors that we got to know, they were, bringing, they were bringing food. They would cook meals. Our next door neighbors didn't go to church or anything like that. But they knew us. And we didn't pretend like we had it all together. We couldn't. Not because we were so holy. We just couldn't pretend we were better than we were. But it connected us to them, and they would bring cooked meals over to us. And, and you know what? There are times now where, where uh, you know, I run into people here and there. Um, 
who, who need help and they feel a little embarrassed that they need help. Like, you don't have to be embarrassed. I've been there. And then all of a sudden, kind of defenses, they don't have to front anymore. God works, not in spite of your weakness, but through your weakness. That gives you humility and boldness. You see how that works? And then there's times like this morning, worshiping together. You know, people show up here on Thursday nights and they get here early on Sundays to rehearse the music. Then, then others set up, you know, the hospitality table. You know, people are welcoming each other. Children's ministry helpers and serve the, excuse me, children's ministry helpers show up to serve the families. And, and uh, all, all of you show up. I mean, I, you know, during our, during our um, combined services and even on a regular Sunday, I mean, I'm amazed as I look out and I see different people, and I know their stories and their backgrounds from all different kinds of walks of life. And we got, we got so many people from so many different walks of life. No church background, maybe an atheist background, uh, maybe, you know, a Mormon background or Lutheran background. I mean, some people are rich, some people are poor, some people are, are educated, some people dropped out. You know, I mean, it's, it's all different. And you all show up together, unified in Jesus. Demonstrate who God is and what he's done together as a community. Every now and then somebody walks in and they take a look. Maybe it's their first Sunday and they're like, nobody here is like me. And if that's you, it simply means that we need you. (laughs) Then we have somebody like you here who can welcome the next person who needs you. I don't know what it is. It's just weird how in Escondido, I mean, I'm from National City. Everybody was from somewhere else. Our congregation, I mean, it was was definitely multi-ethnic. We moved to Escondido, and one of the things that stood out to our family was in Escondido, everybody quietly segregates themselves. So, being a diverse congregation is counter and cultural that reflects the kingdom of God. We got to make that a reality by working together and remembering who we are. It makes others say, well, you know, what kind of group is that? What brings these different people together? And together we answer, it's King Jesus. He is forming a new people. A, a, a new ethnicity, a new ethnos. In other words, um, a ch- a chosen race made up of all races, a new city, and and, and we will live together with him forever. I mean, that is good news, irony right there. And together we confess, Lord, we are weak, Lord, we are sinful, but then we praise him and we say, Jesus, your cross takes away our sin, and all that you are and all that you have, we have received by faith, and we know it's true because our Redeemer lives. That's gospel irony. It's humility and boldness, connecting with weak people like us and giving hope. So that's how we proclaim the good news. So last, it's the what question. What is the good news? There's lots of good news, but this is specific good news. It's the good news of Jesus. Jump to verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch, 
heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? King Herod got word that the 12 were preaching a new kingdom with a new king. And he was threatened because he wanted to be king. And so when he hears about Jesus, he's wondering, who is this guy? You know, some said he's a prophet, come back to life. Others say John the Baptist, but Herod said, it can't be John the Baptist. I cut that dude's heads off. Who's, who's this guy? Well, now for all of his faults, Herod did get one thing right. That the central issue is, who is Jesus? That's central. And that's what the good news is all about. It's about Jesus. And so what is the good news? Well, to appreciate the good news, we got to know the bad news. Otherwise, why do we care about good news? I mean, we need to come to grips with the bad news. The bad news is that this world is messed up. Have you noticed? Right? Well, why is our world messed up? Because of rebellion against God by people like me. The root of all of our problems is our rejection of God as our king and our desire to be our own king. We're just like Herod. All of our problems flow from this. Our social problems like war and greed and racism. Our spiritual problems, the separation from God and the threat of eternal judgment. Our physical problems from the flu to cancer to death. And we know that's not the way things are supposed to be. None of that would exist in paradise. And our emotional problems like drivenness and depression and fear. All of the bad news and brokenness is a result of our broken relationship with God, because for all of us, all those before us and all those after us, we all have the same self-centered desire to be our own king. And so paradise is lost. That's some pretty bad news. So what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus is the king and savior of his people. He deli- our king and our savior, he delivers us from evil death and eternal judgment, and he restores our relationship with God. And here's the irony. Our king came to us in weakness. As a baby born in a barn, placed in a feed bin, And his first visitors weren't powerful dignitaries, but they were poor, despised migrant workers. For part of his life, he was homeless. He said, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but I have no place to lay my head. But then he also came to us with boldness, with fearlessness, with, with courage. He told the truth, and he told it straight, and the self-righteous refused to bow to him, and they wanted to be their own king, and so they beat him to a bloody pulp, crowned him with thorns, and throned him on the cross, and our king died. Why? To free you from slavery. 
He died so that your rebellion could be forgiven. He died so that you can be right with God. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And one day, he will return to make everything wrong in this messed up world right. Now until then, he sends each of us, all of us, to show and tell the good news. Now, I think, you know, we all love real sensational testimonies, right? About some guy who was like leader of a biker gang and was, you know, running meth for the Hell's Angels. And, and then one day in, you know, Valley Center, a bright light showed up while he was cruising down the road, knocked him off his motorcycle, and he met Jesus, and he became a Christian, and then he became a pastor of a mega church for bikers or something like that. We love those stories. They're amazing. I think there is, um, those kind of stories are, are rare, and uh, it, it kind of, I think in our Christian culture here in the United States anyway, we have um, lost an appreciation uh, for a different kind of testimony. Um, my wife, uh, her dad was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. She was an angel pastor's kid. I was a demon pastor's kid. She was very good at being good. I was very good at being bad. Well, um, my wife grew up in the church going to a, a very strict Baptist school. Man, I did not do well there. My wife thrived. She was good at being good. And she got rewarded uh, for being good in a way that was kind of unintentionally unhealthy. It was as if being good and keeping the rules, at least while people are watching you, was good enough. She followed all the rules. And she was also willing to help other people who needed help you know, with their problems. But then for some reason, later on, it all just got old for her. She'll tell you this. I mean, she's sitting right over there. It got kind of cold. Like this whole church deal. Going through the motions, the religious motions. I mean, she knew, she was raised to believe it was real. It just didn't feel real. She would say, yes, I believe it, but it didn't feel real to her. She knew all the Bible stories. She all knew all the good advice and, and all that. And she came to the point, is this like all there, there is? Do I just kind of keep going through the religious motions? She realized uh, later that in this time, her attitude was that grace was for other people who were jammed up. That, that God, I'm, I'm good. Don't worry about me. Uh, give your grace here, because they really need it, you know? They're jammed up. At one point, she got this idea 
to pray to God and ask God, God, will you please show me the sin in my heart? I mean, that's something we talked about. It was something I encouraged her to do. She told me later that she was like, what do you mean? What sin? That's how she was raised in that, that culture, that religious culture. But she did it. God answered that prayer. And she got clobbered with the reality that she was desperate for God's grace. All of a sudden, she realized that she was desperate for God's love and desperate for God's salvation, and then just blown away by how unconditional his love was toward her when she was self-righteous and thought she didn't need God's grace. It changed everything. It changed the way she talked with other people. It changed her, her perspective on what church should be and should not be. It changed her perspective on, on worship. It changed her perspective with the ways she talked to other people who needed help. It renewed her faith. Asking God, show me my need for you. Renewed her faith because it drove her to Jesus who gave his life for her. And she was just overwhelmed. Her story is different than all the sensational stories that we like to hear about. She was given humility, a new kind of humility, and she was also given boldness. And the boldness, man, I, I'm not sure, yeah. I don't know too many people who could do this. Shortly after this, she stood in front of our church that we were serving at the time. I was a pastor there in South Bay, and it was, she was going to give her testimony to the church. And she stood in front of our church to share what God was doing in her heart and life. <laughs> with like this amazing humility and confidence with no inhibitions, she confessed her self-righteousness and how Christ died for that and how now she trusts Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I mean, that is good news, irony, humility, and boldness. And let me tell you something, church people need that testimony. If you feel like you're just going through the motions, you feel like church is just a, like maybe a waste of time or, or whatever, then do this. I want to encourage you. Ask God to show you the sin in your heart, not, not to shame you. I mean, it's not like, you know, when your dog makes a mess on the floor and you grab him by the scruff of his neck and rub his nose in it and beat him with a magazine. I've seen people do that. And sometimes that's a, that's a common approach for, for church people. God's kindness leads us to repentance. You ask God to give, show your sin. That's like asking God uh, for a diagnosis. I mean, it's loving for a doctor to give you a diagnosis. And then you know something can be done about it. Something has been done about it. In Jesus on the cross and his resurrection for you to bring healing and to give you freedom. Her testimony opens all kinds of opportunities for her to talk not only with other Christians, but also non-Christians. Let me tell you something. Non-Christians have this 
idea of Christianity because part of our culture of this like rubbing their nose in it and beating them with a magazine. And that creates hard hearts. They need to hear from Christians who are humble because they knew they know God the Son had to die for them, but at peace and confident because they know God was glad to die for them. So let me ask you something. Have you trusted Jesus to be your Savior? Have you trusted Jesus to be your King? And if not, I invite you to do that right now. And if you have, know this. That Jesus sends you, sends all of us, as a part of his community of faith to proclaim the good news in word and deed. Have you embraced your identity as a proclaimer of the good news? Pray that God works in and and through you. Pray that God will give you, that you would reflect on his love, meditate on his love, that it fills your heart with a desire to love your neighbors from a place of freedom, not just guilt out of guilt or obligation. If I went home to my wife with flowers and I, I, I open the door and walk in and she's all, oh, you brought me flowers. And I said, yeah, well, I read somewhere I was supposed to do that, so there you go. Check that off my list. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, no, I love expressing my love to her. It's, it's something I get to do, not something I have to do. Same with proclaiming the good news. It's something you, that you get to do for people that you love because God loved you. And you'll think of a loving way to do it that meets people where they are, not just some canned approach, but it flows out of a relationship with, with them. Last week, I invited you all to think of one person that you can love unconditionally with the love of Jesus, somebody who needs the love of Jesus. And I asked you to write their name, just their first name, not their last name, their first name, maybe an alias, that's fine, because once you write it down, you're, you're committing to praying for that person and asking the Lord to help you to love them with No strings attached. And then I invite you to pin it on that board that's out in the lobby. I was so encouraged after Sunday, last Sunday, to see that board almost filled up. And where are the cards today, Josh? Where are they going to be? You're going to have them? Okay. And uh, if you didn't get one, they'll probably be on that little table um, by the door. Ask God to put somebody on your heart, on your mind, for you to love with the love of Jesus, love unconditionally. This is proactive. This goes beyond, oh, this is a good idea, to actually putting it into action. Put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Like, not, don't just talk the talk, you know. Walk the walk, man. That's something we get to do from a place of, of freedom, knowing that God is the one who is in control of people's hearts and lives. And he's invited you to be a part of it, to represent him well. And so I urge you, as a part of a community of faith, 
every morning this, this week, you wake up and you pray, Jesus, give me open doors of opportunity for me to show and tell the good news in word and deed. That's my encouragement, my exhortation for all of us. We are proclaimers of good news. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?